let's begin this morning with prayer. Father, thanks so much for drawing us into your presence, and that's what we believe. We don't believe we're here by accident. And Lord, I pray that no one whom you desire to be here today would be prevented from coming. I thank you for gathering your people. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in college, I had a shirt that was almost perfect, and I looked great in it. I loved this shirt, and occasionally, this shirt was so good, I don't know what it was, but you know, every now and then, I, mean, it was just a, I went to the store and bought a shirt, but every now and then, that, you know, they're, they're never made exactly the same, and every now and then you just get one that's like, oh my gosh, that looks perfect on me, and occasionally, you know, I would go somewhere and I'd be wearing my shirt, and uh, someone would say, you know, I really like that shirt. And I'd say something like, oh, you mean this whole thing? Or they would say something like, uh, you look really good in this shirt. Oh, yeah. Pass it off. But meanwhile, it was very, very calculated when I wore this shirt. And I saved it for all of my special occasions. Like when I had a really hot date, which I ended up never having until I met Diane and the shirt was long gone. <laughs> yes. Yes. Earning points, Diane. Or when I needed to look my best, I would pull the shirt out. The shirt was so important to me, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't hang it in my closet at college with the rest of my clothes. There was like a, one of those little hangers, like, you know, bathroom hangers that was on the door of the closet. So I put this shirt on the closet door and not in with the rest of my clothes. I had this shirt set apart for the most important stuff that I did. And that's you and I. We are set apart by God for an extraordinary purpose and an extraordinary adventure. And we're spending a few weeks talking about that together, this business of being set apart. We're going to dive in today a little bit more in how you do it, how you participate with God in being set apart, because this is his work among us. We're not going to finish today. I I wanted to, but there's just too much. So we will finish up. Going through Romans 6, we began last week, we'll finish up next week, and we're going to do a little bit of lab work next week. So please don't miss next week, and then the week after that, on the 19th, we're going to do even more lab work. We'll talk about the enemies of our holiness, and we're going to do some lab work together. So this morning, as we approach our topic, I want you to think this morning about the awful burden of indulging in pornography. I want you to think about the awful burden of drinking too much and knowing how your spouse feels about it, how you feel about it. I want you to think about the burden of overspending, once again, buying stuff that you don't need, where you're going to put it, how you're going to explain it to somebody that you're hiding it from. I want you to think of the guilt and shame that result from acts of rage perpetrated against your spouse or your kids. Think of the guilt and shame that result from the lies that you tell, little or big, to improve how people perceive you, lies about past performance or exaggerations about past employment or lies about your college years or the fact that you even finished college or went to college. I want you to think of the guilt and shame you feel over compromises in character, like when you laugh at a racist joke at work. And as you think of the burden and of the guilt and shame, then you know that this is not who you were designed to be. 
This is not who God is making you. That's why holiness is the work of God in our lives. Even though it sounds old-fashioned and dusty, it's actually life-giving and freeing. It's what God is doing. It is His main activity in our lives. Because of the work of God's Holy Spirit in us, holy is what we are becoming. And it is liberating and delightful. You want to be holy. Oh, okay, I know. If you're anything like me, there's a part of you that wants to be better looking and smarter and younger. But there's a deeper part of you that wants to be good and free and purposeful. You want to be holy. You want to be set apart. Perhaps more importantly, the people around you want you to be holy. Holiness is you looking like Jesus. Holiness is you at your best. Holiness is you on purpose. So, we need to speak for the next couple of weeks to those of us who are pretty new on the journey, because it's a journey. It's a process. We also need to speak to those of us who have been at the process for a while, and today we're threatening to resign, to throw in the towel. That's where we go regularly. This is just, it is what it is. That's not true. Holiness is God's work in you, and he's more committed to it than you are. This is God's work in you, but he won't do it without you. He requires your participation. Okay, so how do we participate? Well, we said last week that perhaps the best place to begin to answer this question might be Romans chapter 6. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul offers... In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul offers what amounts to a brief primer on how to be holy. Remember, he's answering that question for people because it's come up. It's come up naturally because of how large a stroke the Apostle Paul paints the gospel of grace. God has done it. He's set you free. There's grace. No matter what you've done, you cannot outsend God's capacity. In fact, it's all about grace. You're forgiven. You're free. God, it's awesome. I don't care who you are. We said this last week. I don't care who you are. You've blown it. But God has set you free. All you've got to do is accept his offer. And certainly, people who are listening to him would have had the same internal objection that some of us might have. Oh, that sounds really good. Wait a minute. Wait. What are you saying? It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how we behave. Paul, are you saying we should just keep sinning and sinning? There are no rules. There are no boundaries. Well, that's not exactly what Paul's saying, and he gives us the how-to in Romans chapter 6. So if you would, out of reverence for God's word, would you stand with me? And I'm going to again read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. I'll skip down to verse 22, and then next week we'll fill in the verses following verse 14. This is Romans chapter 6. What should we say then, Paul? Should we just keep on sinning so that this grace might increase? Where sin is, grace gets even bigger, you say, so why don't we just sin? By no means. Look, we are those who died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We talked last week about the extraordinary change of identity that's happened in us because of the explosive connection that God has made with us. We're like dead people. 
The old impulse to do our own thing, the old impulse to promote ourselves, the old impulse to save ourselves, the old impulse to be a hero, that impulse is dead. And now there's a new, alive and living impulse in us. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism. He's just stretching the analogy to make sure we get it. You are dead. And there's a new you alive and kicking. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Okay, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. A dead person doesn't keep sinning. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Therefore, in that way, think of all of that now. Count yourselves dead to sin. Consider that. Think about that. Make that your understanding of who you are now but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You're dead to sin, but you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law but under grace. And now verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. You may be seated. So we said in this passage, the Apostle Paul gives us a blueprint with at least five points that direct us, that lead us, that become a pattern for us in how we participate with God in his activity of making us holy. So we said last week, pattern point number one, if we're going to grow in personal holiness, we must understand and act on the profound change of identity which has been realized in us. God has done a work in us. And we've got to realize that, understand it, and then act on it. Point number two, we said, if we're going to grow in personal holiness, we must practice Christian ritual, rightly understood. And we noted how odd it is that of all the things the Apostle Paul could have marshaled and brought in to support and supplement his point, he grabs first for a ritual, the image of baptism. And we said what Paul says here about baptism is meant about all other Christian ritual. Now, dead ritual is the worst possible thing you can do for your spirit, I think, because it it actually, it's almost like an inoculation against a real connection to God. But living ritual, rightly understood, it becomes protection. It becomes guardrails when you're driving along a windy road that keep you from going over the cliff. 
a windy mountain road. So we must practice Christian ritual, rightly understood. We talked specifically about baptism. Then we also talked about worship. We talked about prayer. We talked about learning how to read and and study God's Word. Today, we'll cover blueprint point number three and blueprint point number four. So blueprint point number three, if we're going to grow in personal holiness, our connection to God cannot be primarily motivated by what benefits us. If we're going to grow in personal holiness, our connection to God cannot be primarily motivated by what benefits us. I think I may have gone through all five points, so let me give them. If we're going to grow in personal holiness, we must refuse to follow our evil desires. We'll talk about that one in a second, and we'll deal with that more fully next week. And then, if we're going to finally, if we're going to grow in personal holiness, we must make ourselves slaves to God. We'll talk about that in much more detail next week, but the kind of things that we have done to pursue our the body ruled by sin, we do those same kinds of things except in the service of God now. Okay, so point number three. If we're going to grow in holiness, our connection to God cannot be primarily motivated by what benefits us. Just a couple of comments here. Notice the principal image that God has inspired the Apostle Paul to use in Romans chapter 6. The image here is death. We are, Paul says, like dead people. We are to count ourselves as dead to sin, alive to God. Now, Paul could have used all kind of images to explain that. His point is, of course it matters how you behave, but you can't focus on how you behave because it's about God's grace. This is his point through this whole section of Romans. He could have used lots of images. He could have talked about how we're made triumphant in Christ. Or he could have said, we're like conquering warriors with Christ. Or he could have said, in Christ, we have planted a good crop of righteousness. Because Lord knows they use agricultural images all throughout. But he hasn't done that. What he's done is he's called the language. And the image that, that God has led him to is, he says, we're dead. We're dead in him. And dead people are not benefited. Dead people aren't comfortable and they don't seek comfort anymore. They don't care. I think in this, Paul takes his cues from Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus said this to his followers. And I think their reaction may have been much the same as ours is. Shaken. Jesus says in 9, 23 and 24, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Take up the instrument of their own death and follow me. For whoever wants to save life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German author and pastor and theologian. I love the way he put it. Bonhoeffer said this, when Jesus calls a person, he bids them come and die. If you and I are going to grow in personal holiness, we cannot be primarily motivated by what benefits us. Look, There's great benefit to us in holiness. We're freed. We're made more like ourselves. We're given purpose. We're drawn near to God. But this cannot be our primary motivation. This can't be the grid through which we approach our connection to God or we'll never grow in holiness. Our connection to God has to be motivated primarily by our love for God and truth about God. It cannot be motivated primarily by our own good. I had a weird analogy 
Diane and I went to a wedding yesterday afternoon. When we were leaving, it was night, and we were walking to the car. I didn't even say this to you, Diane. And I looked up. It's a beautiful night last night. And I looked up, and there were a few stars. Not really easy to see because we're in a parking lot, but I noticed there were a few stars. And I remembered that old principle. I can't tell you. I meant to look it up, but I can't tell you why this is. So somebody go home today and look it up. It has something to do literally with the rods and cones in the back of our eyes. I learned this in a psychology class in college, of all things. You've noticed this before, and if you haven't, look at the sky tonight, you'll, you'll see it. When you're looking up at the night sky, if you look directly at a star, especially if it's a faint star, if you look directly at a star, it'll disappear. But if you look just to the right or just to the left of it, the star will come back into focus again. You can't see it by looking directly at it. Okay. Stay with me. Weird analogy, I know, but when we're approaching our own good, (laughs) you can't start by looking directly at your own good. If you do that, you won't get there. When we approach our connection with God by looking primarily at what benefits us, we don't get what benefits us, nor do we get God. If we're looking for our own benefit, we won't get holiness. Honestly, If we're looking for our own benefit, we probably won't want holiness. But you see, holiness is what gets us all the things that we really want. If we focus on our own benefit, we will aim for those things. We'll aim through comfort or we'll aim through our own good feelings. And by aiming for those things, we won't get holiness, nor will we get the benefits. If our primary motivation is our own benefit, it's not Christianity. It's self-help. And with this attitude, again, you won't get it either. You won't get helped, and you won't get holy. Think of the way we pray. Most of our prayers are of the, I want this God, help me to get it variety. And not of the, make me holy variety. I've made note before, many times here at Gateway over the years, Diane and I moved from the inner city Boston to Northern Virginia. So we moved from the poorest neighborhood in Massachusetts to one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in America, probably in the history of the world. And the contrast was pretty stark. When we were first starting Gateway 16 years ago, one of the things that we did was we'd survey homes. So we went door to door, literally, and knocked on homes of well-meaning people like you and now us. And we would knock on their home. And I got this religious survey from a another person who had planted a church many years ago in uh, California. So I had a clipboard with me, and I would usually have Diane or some of the early people that got connected with us at Gateway. They would go with me. Uh, Tim Eagle went with me a couple of times. And I took my boys a few times because I didn't want people to think, you know, I was soliciting or harassing them or Jehovah's Witness. So I would go to the door, and I'd have one of my children with me or something, bored to tears. Hey, how are you? And I flashed my toothy grin. My name is Ed Allen. I'm here to plan a new church. Yeah, can I ask you seven questions? It'll take less than five minutes. And you were extremely nice. I was stunned. In fact, I think you're less nice today than you were 16 or 17 years ago. Seriously. And when someone came to the door, they almost always said yes. And the conversations almost always lasted longer than five minutes. But it wasn't because of me. It was because of the person I was interviewing. I am planning a new church and starting a new church in the area. Not here to recruit. Don't want your name or anything. What I'm really trying to do is just find out who lives in Northern Virginia, Toothy Grand. 
and I just want to find out what you're like and what the needs of the area are. So, uh, how long have you lived here? Okay, what brought you here? Work or other circumstances? What do you think our area needs most? And, you know, you would say things like better roads. Oh, yeah, I agree. Or, you know, more grocery stores, which do not need that anymore. Occasionally, somebody would say, a new church. And I would write, new church, and I'd say, brown noser, toothy grin. And then, if you were looking for a church, what kind of things would you look for? And they'd tell me some of the things that you're looking for. Okay, why do you think most people in our area don't go to church? I don't know, and this is where the conversation would get cool and also longer than planned. Folks would begin to confess to me. All I said was, why do you think most people in our area don't go to church? And they would say, oh boy, I know we should, but... I, I know you should too. <laughs> and I walked away from surveying hundreds, probably thousands of homes in the area. A neighborhood in Reston, a couple of neighborhoods in Herndon. At the time, there were only, I think, 800 homes in South Riding, and the rest of this was woods, except for the few homes over there on Autumn Lane. Every home in South Riding, I knocked on the door. Neighborhoods in Ashburn, one neighborhood in Centerville, a couple of neighborhoods in Sterling. And about three or four hundred surveys into this process, I realized Northern Virginians are really different than folks in the inner city. I mean, people are people. We all have basically the same wiring and the same needs, but there's a fundamental difference between those folks who live in the poor section of the inner city and those folks who are living the American dream in the American suburbs. We like our lives. We just want them better. But that's a deal that Jesus does not strike with his followers. That's not what he's offering. When Jesus calls a person, he bids them come and die. So if we can't get to holiness by making our connection to God primarily motivated by what benefits us, then that means that in our journey, in our growth, we have to be examining our motivations. and That shouldn't surprise us, right? If you know anything about Jesus and his teachings, he was constantly driving his followers to the level of motivation. Like, yeah, I know you've heard it said you shouldn't do this or that, but you know what? It's just as important. Why are you doing this or that? And it's also important what you're thinking about, because sometimes what you're thinking about is this or that. It's kind of like just doing it, right? constantly driving us deeper and deeper, peeling back layers of the onion to get us to look at our motivations. And if you're going to grow and I'm going to grow in personal holiness, we've got to be thinking about what's motivating our connection to God because if it's about what benefits us, that will not get us to holiness. The star will disappear. So we're going to spend a minute in prayer. Listen to this. Psalm 139. At the end of Psalm 139, it's a delicious psalm. I encourage you to go read it later. But at the end of Psalm 139, the psalmist says this. It's the same heart cry that all of us have when we're in pursuit of real personal holiness. He says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any offensive way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. Can we do that for a minute? So, 
This isn't a time for you to dial down. This is a time for you to dial up. This is a time for you to participate. So let's put our spiritual tennis shoes on, and let's do some work. Stand with me if you would. If we're going to grow in holiness, our connection to God cannot be primarily motivated by what benefits us. That won't get us there. That's self-help. But it's not pursuit of God. It's not pursuit of holiness. So we're going to pray a prayer of opening ourselves up to God and asking Him to show us. Then we're going to pause for a minute, and then we're going to pray a prayer of confession. I'm going to give us some ticklers in both directions. You're going to do a little bit of work during the pauses. Okay, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come into every territory in our heart. For many of us, Lord, we have worked at surrendering our heart and our life to you. Some of us are still in the process of that. But we've come this morning, and not only have we come, we now recognize, we now recognize you drew us. So we avail ourselves to you. We open ourselves up to you willingly. It's not like you don't already know, but this morning we participate with you. We ask you to search us and try us and show us the offensive way. Show us the heart, the motivation of our prayers. Show us the motivation of our connection to you, God. Show us. Lord, we confess this morning, we own the areas in our lives and the ways that we have pursued pleasure. That has infected the way we approach you. We've wanted to do something because it felt good. And that has translated into how we approach you. And we're sorry we own that this morning. We confess it to you. Lord, we recognize that there are ways that we wanted to be in charge. We wanted to be elevated. We wanted to be promoted. And that has infected our connection to you. We brought those motivations into a pursuit of a relationship with you, and it has soured our relationship with you, and we've ended up with sour fruit and didn't know why. This morning, Lord, we confess that. And Father, we're going to be specific with you right now in those confessions. And I encourage you to do so. Lord, we confess that we wanted to be in control. We want to make sure that good stuff happens in our lives. And that has infected how we've approached you. So we don't want to go to hell, or we think we found uh, the key. If we're good people, then good stuff's going to happen, or we do things right and God will bless us. We actually think you owe us that. And it has polluted our connection to you, and it's actually hampered your efforts to make us holy. And because you're a gentleman, you wait on us to recognize and confess and own and then release So we do that this morning. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I hope that was an opportunity for you to actually do some work in participating with God. You know, there have been times in my own spiritual journey, and you may have felt this some too. You may feel this this morning after an exercise after that. There have been times in my spiritual journey when I felt tired of trying to do holy. Of course, then I realized I don't have to do holy. It's what God is doing in me, and then that's a great relief. And then I realized, wait a minute, I do have to participate. There is work involved on my part in this journey. And I get tired of that work sometimes until I remember that not doing the work ends up much more costly than the effort of doing the work. Not doing the work, I end up hugely burdened. Remember our opening this morning. I end up suffering from shame and guilt when I don't do the work. But when I do the work, there's an opportunity for me to be free and to live how he's called me to live, holy. So, if we're going to grow in holiness, our connection to God cannot be primarily motivated by what benefits us, and we have to do the work of examining that motivation and bringing ourselves before him. Secondly, if we want to grow in holiness, we must refuse to follow our evil desires. And Paul says it that plainly. We must refuse to follow our evil desires. Okay, there are three important things to note about this. We kind of need to be refreshed on that, don't we? He says, halfway down in Romans 6, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In the same way as what he's talked about in the first two paragraphs. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Just don't do it. Okay, first of all, remember that this charge is built on everything that has come before it. Everything that we said last week and everything that we said so far, the Apostle Paul's encouragement here, his charge here is built on all of that. It's built on recognizing and acknowledging it and acting on the change of identity that's happened in us. It's built on rightly finding and, and practicing Christian ritual, rightly understood. It's built on examining our motivations and Acknowledging that there are times when our motivation for our connection to God drifts toward our own personal good and our own personal benefit. And it's correcting that course and acknowledging that before Him and having Him, reallowing Him to do His work in us. And then comes this charge. Of course, it's especially built on verse 11 count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And again, this is the identity change. So remember, This charge is built on everything that comes before it. Secondly, I want you to notice that the process of following our evil desires is something we allow. We allow sin to reign in our mortal bodies. We allow it. It's not that we can't help it. We allow this process. This is Paul's version of the Nike commercial, just do it, except in this case, Paul is saying, just don't do it. Again, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Third thing to note, Paul isn't addressing pleasure in a general sense here. He's not talking about desires that make us feel more comfortable or more excited. And he's not saying that the body is bad. He's talking about desires that produce death in us. Desires that pull us away from God. Desires that rob us of God's presence. We cannot let those desires hold sway over us. 
So this morning, I won't repeat this next week, but this morning, I want to give you some practical advice. I want to show you a prayer pattern that you can follow in doing the work of not letting sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So, first of all, Proverbs 28.13 says this, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So those of you who like to do this kind of thing, do a Bible search on the word renounce this week. And you'll come up with this wonderful spiritual principle of renouncing, standing against your sins. In fact, the earliest Christians, when they performed baptism, we actually have written down for us in a document kind of what they went through to to train and to prepare for baptism, and then the, the act of baptism itself. And they would stand before other believers, and they would be asked, do you renounce all sin? And the candidate would say, I renounce all sin. Because this is a spiritual process that you and I have to go through to make sure that we refuse to follow our evil desires. So first of all, renounce your sin. Name them and renounce them. You know, uh, God, I have noticed an uptick in my anger. And I, in the name of Jesus who died for me, I renounce that. I renounce that. I don't step into that. Father, I have noticed an uptick in lust in my heart and in my life and what I'm looking at. I renounce that. I stand against that. I dispel that. In the name of Jesus who died for me, I renounce that. So the first thing to do in our prayer pattern, if we're not going to follow our evil desires, is to renounce them. Secondly, from 2 Corinthians 10.5, and I'm telling you this and reiterating them in case you want to look these up later. The first one was Proverbs 28.13 and many other places. The second one is 2 Corinthians 10.5. This is a rich principle. This is again the Apostle Paul speaking to his followers and to us. He says this, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So, second prayer pattern principle is to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Take our thoughts captive. So you're going to bed at night and you're wanting to dial through the conversation that you have not yet been able to have with your boss and you are flat out ticked off and you just rehearse your anger. You can't even go to sleep now because you're rehearsing it over and over again. No, Lord Jesus, I take that thought captive. I actually want his good. I want you to bless him. I take that thought captive. I'm not going to follow that. Same with pride and vain imaginings and scenarios that you build for yourself or materialism and imagining, wow, what would I do if I won $10 million? Or lust and the scenarios that you begin to dial up for yourself. I take that thought captive. Third, 1 Corinthians 10.13, another rich one. Paul says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to us all. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. 
So third, look for God's way out. Look for God's way out. Worry comes at you like a tidal wave. Renounce it. Deny it. Not as in psychological denial, but set it apart from you. And then take that thought captive and give it to Jesus. And then thirdly, look for God's way out. Okay. Stand with me and let's do that now. Okay, I want you to think this morning about a specific sin or a specific sin pattern in your life. I don't want this to elicit any shame or guilt in you because that's not helpful. You know, the Apostle Paul also says there's a sorrow in us that leads to death. It just produces shame and we get stuck. There's also a sorrow that leads to godliness and holiness. That's what we're aiming for. So I want you to identify a specific sin pattern. The, the need for control or the need to worry. Lust. Materialism. Now the more specific we can get, the better. Because that's where the power is in the specifics. Let's do some of this work this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, we renounce the sin. The evil desire in us, we renounce it. We declare today that we will not let sin reign in our body and how we use our body and what we think about, what we allow ourselves to dwell on, what we look at, what we do, what we say. As best we know how this morning, God, we take the thought pattern associated with that sin pattern and we wrap it in chains and we give it to you. We take it captive to you. I want to pray for us all this morning, God, that you will make your way plain to us, that you will show us a way out, that you will deliver us like you delivered Abraham from having to sacrifice Isaac. There was a ram in the bush, and you provided the way out. I pray this morning that you show us a way out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so let's wrap up this morning, and let me do that with a warning. For many of us, this is uh, this last business that we've been talking about, this business of not following your evil desires. This is what we think of when we think of holiness. We think, how do I not follow my evil desires? How do I not lose my temper so much? How do I stop looking at porn? How do I get my eating disorder under control? And those are necessary questions. God wants us to grow in freedom in those areas. But holiness is far more than not sinning. Let me say that again. Holiness is far more than not sinning. Holiness is you and me looking like Jesus in our character and our motivations. Holiness is living a life filled with God's purpose. Holiness is literally being set apart by God and for God. 
In order to be that, we certainly have to move beyond our sin patterns. We have to refuse to follow our evil desires. But this is a process. It takes time for God to set us free. And breaking our sin patterns is only a part of the overall journey toward holiness. And if our attention has been too focused on this one negative aspect of holiness, then chances are we've actually hampered God's efforts to grow us. Let me say that again. It takes time for God to set us free, and and breaking our sin patterns is only a part of the overall journey toward holiness. And if our attention has been too focused on this one negative aspect of holiness, then chances are we've actually hampered God's efforts toward growing us in personal holiness. If we get too focused on our sin patterns, we can get bogged down in discouragement. Why am I still doing this? Why do I continue to feel this way and follow this pattern? We get bogged down in discouragement, and we can forget that God is more committed to our holiness than we are. God is more committed to our holiness than we are. And we get caught in living in a guilt-shame cycle. So here's what the guilt-shame cycle looks like. We do something wrong. Perhaps we get enraged and act out in anger. Perhaps we indulge in our secret habit. And then we feel burdened and shameful, and we feel self-hatred. And those feelings drive us back to anger or back to our secret sin. And we get stuck in the guilt and shame cycle. We want to stop and we cry out to God. And frankly, it can feel defeating to hear Paul say, so don't let sin have a grip on you. Okay, just do it. But remember, this morning, remember, this is what God is doing in you. Remember, it's what you really want. And that's a good thing. That says something remarkable about you. Remember, it's a process. And remember, it's about your new identity. He's making you new inside. He's making you new inside. It's about practicing Christian ritual, rightly understood. It's about examining your motives and making sure it's not about you or your ease. And remember to renounce, to take every thought captive, and to look for God's way out. And all God's people said, really? Because it's a hard thing to say amen to, for me. Okay, so let's engage with this a little bit. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And let's have another little time of worship. We're going to start with an old chorus that we haven't done in a long time in Gateway. I think most of you will know it. If you don't, it's beautiful, and it's easy to catch on to. But we're going to do something different when we get to the chorus of the chorus. Chorus is, Refiner's fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord. So the second time we do that, we're going to enter some time of prayer while we worship. I want you to do it. I want you to engage. So we're going to sing over and over again. I choose to be holy. I want to be holy. We'll just do that over and over for a little while. Let's make that our declaration this morning in prayer today. We've done some prayer work. We're going to do some more right now. So we'll start with Refiner's Fire, and then we're going to do a song that's big. We're going to wake up our spirits, and we're going to make like 
big declarations. We're going to tell God, you are awesome. And we're going to end it with this delicious invitation. Really, it's his invitation to us that we're invited to come. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would make us holy. We choose to be holy. We want to be holy. So, God, if you missed everything else, and you know you didn't miss anything, but I don't miss that. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray. And all God's people said, go in peace.